This is the Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Catch Stan every weekday at 2 on your 24-7 home of the black and gold, SNR. Let's open with conversation about Artie Burns. Unless there is a miraculous turnaround or a series of injuries between now and a week from Sunday, Artie Burns really doesn't have a role, not even as an extra defensive back. I'd be really shocked if he sees significant playing time on the corner. And he's heading down the road of being a real bust in the NFL. That's bad enough. Number one pick, and they definitely needed a cornerback. They chose the wrong one. He was not their first choice. Being reasonable, you know, guy, they, they drafted, I think, 25th that year or something. You know, you're not going to get a top 10 corner. They don't fall. Those guys do not fall down. They wanted William Jackson third. He's the guy that the Bengals snatched one slot ahead of them. But they had to have some faith in that Artie Burns would become a decent corner. He has not. And so there's a price to be paid for that. But here's where the real price is paid. The real price is paid not only in what you have to deal with right now and the decision you have to make on offering him a contract extension to, not an extension, but to exercise your option with him, as they did with Bud Dupree, but it's very expensive. I mean, unless there's a remarkable turnaround, can you see them picking up the option on Artie Burns for next year? I can't. That's a pretty rapid fall in three years. But here's where you really pay the price. Now, let me just preface these remarks by saying, I would almost rather have my tongue cut out than to be talking about the NFL draft in October. I'm not crazy talking about it in March or even April. You kind of have to. It can get tedious. Here we are in October, not even halfway through the season. But if there's not some kind of a rapid turnaround, the Steelers are going to have to use a high draft choice on a position they thought they were at least okay at. When you make a bad draft pick, you end up chasing yourself to make up for it. Case in point, when they drafted wide receiver Troy Edwards and he turned out to be a bust, the following year, one year later, they drafted Plexico. Now, not that Plexico is a bad receiver. I thought he did a really good job here. But the point is they could have used that draft pick in 2000, Kevin Colbert's first draft pick, on something else that they needed if Troy Edwards had been worth the number one pick the year before, which he was not. Another prime example, Jarvis Jones. If Jarvis Jones pans out, the chances are that they don't use a draft pick on Bud Dupree. At best, 
mixed results, a little better this year. But now they're obligated because they've exercised the option with him. But the chances are they could have gone after something else that they needed. And so now, if I were to ask you, before the season began, knowing what you knew then and knowing what we know now, one would think that inside linebacker would be what they'd be looking for in the draft in 2019. That's not to say you can't find one in the second or third round. You most certainly can. But in terms of priority, if Artie Burns continues along this path, you'd have to identify corner as their number one need. The way the game is played today, you need good corners. You need to be able to play pass defense or at least be able to outscore people, which is where we're at now, as I discussed with you yesterday. But even that's not enough. You have to play some defense at some point, at least to hold the other guy down to point totals in the high 20s, early 30s, as opposed to the 40s. So now as they look at the draft, if this continues along this way, they're going to have to shift their focus. They need a good inside linebacker. And presumably an inside linebacker who can get back in pass coverage as well, stop the run. Now, again, it doesn't mean that you can only get quality, top-flight players in the first round. But in terms of prioritizing, whether it's in the draft or free agency, when you draft a guy, number one, you don't expect you're going to be happy to draft, be drafting at the same position three years later, four drafts later. Unless, of course, you had weakness on the other side, which they also had, but they plugged it with Joe Hayden. You have to think that Joe Hayden has a couple really good years left. I mean, that's a position that doesn't necessarily age well. And not that Artie Burns had to be Mel Blunt, but you couldn't afford to have him be Harvey Clayton either, who I think is still at the burn unit at Allegheny General. That is the downside. That is the negative. So it's not only that Artie Burns needs to get better now to help this team now. He needs to get to a level where they can trust him enough to invest in him And while I think that they would be looking for a young corner anyway, unless, you know, a guy like Byron Allen comes on, you know, that kind of player, they can move it down to the second or third round and look for that inside linebacker. 
That is where it ends up biting you. Chasing after bad draft picks. I mean, I don't know there's a direct correlation between the drafting of Cam Hayward, Stefan Tuitt, the signing of Ty, uh, uh, Alu Alu. But, I mean, Ziggy Hood, I mean, he was around here for a while, but you could have drafted Ziggy Hood in the fifth round and gotten the same production. Again, at 1 o'clock, we're going to get to the topic of you need good corners. Not that you, you always needed good corners. I mean, that, that's all we, even when it was not as lopsided pass to run as it is now, you mean, that's always been the case. But it seems even a higher priority because they're throwing the ball 70% of the time, just about. And I want to get your opinion on, do you like this kind of football? Jerry doesn't. He said the NFL has become Madden video game. Gary says, I do not like this new age of offensive football, pun intended. With these rules, quarterbacks are throwing for 300 yards. Receivers are running free all over the field. I enjoy a great 17-14 game. Yeah, I do too. The pendulum always swings one way too far. It finds a way back to the middle. The problem with that is, and we'll talk about it, the rules have artificially messed with the pendulum. So it can only come back so far. We'll talk about that at 1 o'clock. We'll talk about it with Matt Williamson. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. They lead by 18. This one starts at the 36. They fake it to Lindsey Keenum with all kinds of time. Airs it out all alone is Sanders. He will walk into the touch, into the end zone with a flip at the end of it. What a night for Denver. Well, Denver, not exactly known as an offensive juggernaut. Uh, against Arizona, though, you don't have to be, but the Broncos were. And someone ought to tell Arizona that it is now a passing league. By the way, scoring only 10 points last night, this morning, the Arizona Cardinals fired offensive coordinator Mike McCoy, former San Diego head coach, and they replaced him with Byron Leftwich, former Steeler quarterback. So Byron is now the offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals, kind of like being the captain on the Titanic. Uh, it's too early to determine what kind of quarterback Josh Rosen's going to be, but I, the sad thing about that is not that we're going to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, who cares? Um, I feel bad for Larry Fitzgerald. It's probably going to be his last year, and it's, it's a terrible way to go out and uh, – Last year wasn't a whole lot better for him, and that's too bad. Uh, but he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, or they should blow it up in Canton, Ohio. In any event, that's what the game has come to. We all understand that. But I'm wondering if it's gone too far. I understand what the league is trying to do. I understand why they want to do it. 
But sometimes enough is enough. And I've asked you the question, do you like this kind of football? Passing, passing, passing. The thing that concerns me, I don't. I I think it's too much. And look, it's not getting to the point where it's the Big 12 Conference. It's not that bad. 62-59 every game. But I would normally say when you see trends in the NFL, oftentimes the pendulum will swing back. In other words, defenses will figure out some stuff. I believe this. Matt Williamson and I talked about this about three, four years ago when there was no longer a premium on running backs because everybody was passing. Won't some team be smart and say, look, um, if you're going to play six DBs all the time and take out your defensive tackles and play with one linebacker, we're going to start running the ball, which is, in effect, what the Steelers started to do. And that, in my view, led to the drafting, the high drafting, of people like Zeke Elliott and Todd Gurley. Not that they weren't great players, but teams began to say, okay, here's how we're going to counter all this passing and how defenses are playing the pass. We'll run the ball on them. And now there's a greater premium put on running backs. The problem here now is the fact that the league is legislated against allowing the pendulum to move naturally. The ebb and flow. Offenses do this, defenses do that. Defenses do that, offenses do this. It goes back and forth. But the the rules are such that there's only so much defenses can do. I don't think it's good for the game. I'm not worried about the health of the game, but from an enjoyment standpoint, it goes too far. Tony on Facebook says, way too much scoring now. I don't need a 10-6 game, but I liked it much better when 31-28 was a shootout. Right, not 43-40. Robert on Facebook, I don't like this era of pro football. There's a time to pass. There's a time to run. Drives me nuts when you're at the one-yard line. You're passing. It's incomplete. I don't even like it when you're at the one-yard line. You're passing. It's complete. Too much. As I mentioned earlier, Jerry said the NFL has become a video game. Gary adds, I don't like this new age of offensive football. Quarterbacks throwing 300 yards. What's wrong with a 17-14 game? As long as as the 17-14 isn't the result of offensive ineptitude. It seems to me if you're going to play on both sides of the ball, both teams, both units should be rewarded for excellence. And by that I mean, 
you at least should allow the defense to play, to be part of the game and not be out there just as a pincushion. 412-922-2874, pound 970. Anthony in Oakland. Hi, Anthony. Thank you, Stan. Stan, uh, talking about the USFL, a big, a bigger defection eclipsed out from the Steelers, to me, was Jimmy Smith leaving. Yep. Well, he went to, he went to Michigan, right? I, I can't remember what team he had went to, but I know that really hurt their offense in that 83 season. Without, because you remember, they brought in uh, Ouija Thompson and – no, he came the next year. But they had Scant- Garrity, Scantsy, and uh, uh, Theo Bell, Calvin Sweeney. It was it was a motley crew. Jimmy Smith um, was—I uh, shouldn't call him Jimmy Smith because there was another player named Jimmy Smith. There, there's one now, Jim Smith, uh, University of Michigan. I think he went to the Michigan Panthers. Um, he, I had the uh, the misfortune of playing with Swan and Stallworth. So, I mean, he was he was a number one receiver, and people may forget this, but. Had the you know had the um, uh, the league survived uh, as I would no I'm I'm getting confused. Elsie Greenwood had signed with the old World Football League, right? But they fell apart and 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 he never left. Uh, but you're right, Jim Smith. Um, and I remember the offensive line. Ray Penny, I believe, was one of the offensive linemen that signed with Michigan that that Jeff Perlman was alluding to. But remember, by the '82 season, Jimmy Smith had. Surpassed Lynn Swan and become uh, Bradshaw's favorite receiver. He was big and strong. And oh yeah, he was really doing very well. I was that hurt similar to in '97 when the Steelers lost Yancey Thigpen. That I thought that hurt Cordell Stewart more than anything. That's when Tom Donahoe said, well, "We're not going to pay big money receivers are a dime a dozen." Oh yeah. really? <laughs> well, they found out, didn't they? Yeah, they found out. Uh, they, one of the reasons he he's no longer here. Yeah, they really struggled after uh, Yancey Thigpen, who who made himself into a receiver. I mean, he he made himself into a very good receiver. He did. Uh, he he really was a uh, he he. Uh, people can the young people don't remember that era, but that era they were very exciting when they had uh, Thigpen. He was a terrific receiver. Um, he, was a, he was a good human being too. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yancey Thanks, was a, all right. Thank you, Anthony. Um, and of course. The Steelers still in those years were still, you know, a run-oriented team. Jerome came here in um, 96, uh, and they were still a run-oriented team. Uh, but Yancey Thigpen, remember they had Superman, Bobby Shaw? He had that 90-yard touchdown catch at Three Rivers and pulled up his <laughs> Steeler jersey. And he had a Superman T-shirt underneath, and everybody then called him Superman. That tied the Steelers' uh, longest reception, uh, 90 yards from Mark Malone. Mark Malone caught a 90-yard touchdown pass. He was a quarterback, but he played uh, wide receiver. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he caught that pass from Cliff Stout. Was it Bradshaw? Okay. I'm thinking about – I'm thinking I, – I, I know Mark caught that touchdown pass in Seattle. Uh, and I'm and I, that was the game uh, they end up losing. David Trout missed an easy field goal, and then they got fogged in, and they couldn't fly back to Pittsburgh. And so uh, they had to wait a day because they couldn't get out of Seattle, and they lost that game. And a bunch of them went to this cowboy bar, and they had one of those things, those mechanical uh, punching bags where you hit it, and you it registered a score to see you know how hard you could hit it. 
and Cliff Stout punched it with his passing hand and broke his hand. Um, Chuck Knoll was not terribly happy um, about that. But anyway, <laughs> how do we get on that tangent? Um, you know, back to what we were talking about. Um, I still think that there will be a bit of a pendulum switch. But while the, and I don't know that we're going to see any change in rules. But while the rules are as they are, and quarterbacks can barely be hit, I mean, the past Chuck rules remains the same. But when you have those kinds of things, I understand offenses, quarterbacks, they're going to throw the ball. As the saying goes, why walk when you can fly? And if a quarterback has no fear of getting hit, as he used to, or at least drawing a penalty when he does, it's going to continue. I I don't find it terribly – I mean, it is what it is. You want to watch football, that's what you're going to get. And it's not – let me put it this way. It's not enough for me to turn it off. I'm not going to do that. Still football. But if I had my druthers – by the way, Paul chimes in on Facebook, I had season tickets for the Maulers. Hope you saved them for a souvenir. Stephen Finleyville joins us on Severn on Sports. Hi, Steve. Good afternoon, Stan. Um, as I was talking to Greg off the air, there, I got a question for you on that that bomb from Bradshaw. It, it was in the uh, that was in the Kingdom, correct? That was in Seattle. Yes, it was. Um, Stan, maybe you could. Uh, my my brain doesn't work too well, as you know. I call enough. Um, did Mark Malone, um, did, didn't he hurt his knee playing receiver? And was it on that play? Because like, he was the slot, Cordell Stewart, before Cordell Stewart was ever here. He was the, the, the pre-slash guy. He, yeah, but he, but he wasn't a slash guy, really, because they didn't run options with him. He didn't run right. the ball. But he, he was a great athlete, and they just lined him up on occasion um, out wide, and teams tended to ignore him. Um, Mark did have a knee problem. I don't remember if it was on that play. Um, Tunch, Tunch and Wolf would probably remember that um, because, you know, that was uh, in their time with the Steelers. Um, right. I don't remember if it happened, if it occurred on that play. Um, I seem to rem- I, I guess it was a bomb. I guess he just ran a fly pattern down the sideline and, and, and Bradshaw hit him with it. I think, I think Bobby Shaw tied that record. And I, I- and I wonder, right. um, uh, that was a 90-yarder at Three Rivers, and I'm wondering the pass that Juju caught in Detroit last year in that night game. Remember that? Yes, yes. Was that, was that a 90-yarder, too? I believe so. 97. Yeah. was 97. Yeah, so. if, if, yeah I was going to say, Malone's record, in my recollection, no longer stands as, no, as number one. No, it doesn't. For it. Okay, and um. Oh, uh, one other thing about the Maulers, I, I still have the, the foam Pittsburgh Mauler helmet with the old radio station that used to carry him <laughs> on there. And um, the, their first signing, Mark, um, was um, not Mark Holmes. It was um, Jerry was Holmes. Jet, Jerry Holmes, yes. He was yes, a good corner. Yes. He played for the Jets. Uh, Jeff Perlman uh, mentioned that in our interview. Um, yes. And I mentioned this to Guy yesterday when we were talking about having the author on today. 
I covered the one and only Pittsburgh Mauler training camp. It was held down in Melbourne, Florida. Remember now, they were starting in March, so they was down in right. February. So they were, you know, they and, and I covered it for Channel Four. It was down there for about three, four days, I remember. Um, and and you know, there was no Steelers stuff going on, so you know, we covered them, um, you know, throughout the season. But things right. really, things really began to deteriorate. You could see that uh, things were fraying around the edges, not only as a team but also as an organization. Yeah, I, 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 that was definitely a fun. Um, it wasn't fun for those guys because it, it didn't work out, but it was definitely unique at, at the time. A second football league, and they had some really good players. You mentioned Herschel Walker. Um, they were getting a lot of those guys. And, um, there was a guy that played in the the SEC conference. I can't remember. Um, a real good running back, but he was like brittle. Played in Texas or Oklahoma or something. Um, um, so, uh, you talk about Marcus, Marcus Dupree. Uh, yeah, that must be. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he just kind of never. He always got hurt. And yeah, there was, was a. Sh- I, I got to run here, Steve. There was a. Okay, Steve, there, there was a. You. Thank you. There was a thirty for thirty on him in ESPN. He, <clears throat> his life did did not turn out well, but. Coming out of high school and going to Oklahoma, he they thought he was you know talk about Herschel Walker and backs like that. Um, he had that kind of uh, of reputation. The Saverin on Steelers podcast from Steelers Nation Radio. Then in the gun, fifteen seconds to go. The Steelers have a timeout left. Blitz is coming. All here it comes, and a quick pop over the middle, running free. That's Antonio. 10-5. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. you got to be here. Oh, baby. Unbelievable. That's how it is. You know, when I come out the games, they're going to be rolling two people my way the whole game. And uh, But I know as the game goes on, we're going to be able to present opportunities. And uh, just it's just all about uh, being positive, staying poised, uh, trusting in your belief, uh, letting the game come to you. And... Uh, Today and in, in, in the clutch moment, I know uh, we don't have opportunity to make a play. Cases of virtue, whether AB learned that lesson or not, we'll see. Play the turn the season, save the season. Who knows? Let me answer the trivia question: The NHL team that's gone the longest without making the playoffs, your fast-starting Carolina Hurricanes, nine years. The last time they were in the playoffs, the Penguins destroyed them in the Eastern Conference Final on their way to beating Detroit for the Cup in uh, 2009. Okay. Remember that Been unbelievable while, yeah. goal by Gino over his shoulder, and he beat Cam Ward, and they just destroyed Carolina. They haven't been in the playoffs since. Tony in Zelianopol wins the $25 gift certificate to the Carlton Restaurant. Uh, Matt, um, as a student of the game, uh, your thoughts on pick play or no pick play? Honestly, I think that one was very, very close. I mean, you see it all the time, though. To me, it's not like some of these penalties. It's like calling a hold or not for an, on an offensive lineman. Like, yeah, if you rate it up, it probably is illegal, but you see the Patriots do the goal line all the time, and you're talking about a fraction of a yard difference. I, I think more often than not, that doesn't get called, nor should it. Is that cl- I mean, is that clear enough? I mean, it's... yeah. It's just it happens all the time. Unless you again, the key, the two key elements here: if the defensive back initiates the contact, all bets are off, right? And it's within a yard of the line of scrimmage. I There's, think it went a little further than that. Uh, yeah, it yeah. was between a yard and two. Right. So now 
well, if it says a yard, it's a yard. Maybe they should change that. But there's no question that the DB initiated the contact. That part was solid. Agreed. But it was the, the placement of actually where, where, you know, where it happened. But the, the crime, really, the bad football play was is the, the other corner. Right. I mean, yeah. the other defensive back needs to get over on that. McCray. I mean, right. And you know you have no – the middle of the field's open. You know that. You have no help in the middle of the field, which is why Ben checked to it to begin with. So you absolutely have to get over the, the quote, pick or the rub or whatever. And he didn't get very good – you know, attempt to do that. And it's well, awesome, that you know, brings up their Actually, I, I got it wrong. McCray was the corner who got the contact with Justin Hunter. I'd forgotten okay. who the other guy yeah, was. Yeah, I forgot who was who, to be honest. Who, with you. Right. Now, here, here's a question I have for you. I mean, the Steelers at that point, I mean, the fact they got a touchdown was a total fluke. Sort of, except for that's a. You can also argue that that's a crime of a play call, too. Nah, that's what I'm getting. That's what defense. I'm going to. Right, right. What, by, by a fluke, what I meant was they're trying to get five yards to get as close as they can. Right. They got timeouts remaining, and they're going to kick a field goal, uh, presumably and hopefully. Um, do you go zero coverage there? I mean, I understand that if they get a sack, they totally take them out of field goal range. Right. I think they're trying to get a sack, or if you think it's going to be a handoff, get him behind the line of scrimmage and change the field goal trajectory. Is it but worth the risk? I don't think so. I, I mean, and I think, you know, the Bengals players talk and, you know, they're come, they were unhappy about it, but I think they were saying like, we didn't expect that play call. It's not what we do. You know, the, the reward is much smaller than the risk. You know, I mean, Ben's an established quarterback. If it was Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield or somebody that maybe doesn't check at the line, and then you see him motion Brown in. Yeah, I'm sure Ben came to the line of scrimmage and said, "Wow, the entire open, the entire middle of the field is open. It's going to be a zero blitz. Of course, I'm going to be aggressive to the best wide receiver in the world." You know, I, I, I didn't understand what sense he was doing on that one. I mean, even at that point, it would have been a 50 yarder, give or take. Right. So they were actually, in essence, already in field goal range. I don't know so, how much you trust Boz at this point from yeah, 50, from, but from right. the Steelers' perspective, yes. But it's but I mean I understand the blitz. I mean it'd be it'd be one thing um, if they were at the 50 and they were totally out of field goal range, but you're already there. That's an awfully big risk to take, yeah. Um, because you can get burned like that. Although I'm sure no one, not even the Steelers, expected to get a touchdown out of it. Right, I 100% agree, and I also think I know this is what you asked, but the. The Bengals fans that are complaining about it, even if they cost them 10, if they throw the flag, by no means is that game over. I mean, the Steelers were moving the ball with ease. I think they had one more timeout. I mean, they easily could have picked up another 10 the next play and had the same situation. So, uh, to me, the crime, like you said, the, the three things that really cost Cincy to me were not getting over on the rub route from the, the defensive back, the play call in itself, which live by the blitz, die by the blitz in a way, and that's, in that situation wasn't worth it. And I know this is hard to do, but when they were driving on offense, you got to eat more clock. You know, I mean, you, you have to realize that giving the ball back in today's NFL is doomed, you know, with three timeouts. And I'm not saying you should go down at the one or any of those type of things, but be more clock cognizant if you're Lewis and eat the clock a little bit more. Yeah, it's a, you know, that's a tough dilemma. I mean, it is. You have to score. You're down. Right. 20 to 14. So, you know, give me the seven and I'll worry about it. Um uh, that, that, that's that's a really tough call. But speaking about moving the ball with ease, let's go back. Let's talk about that drive by the Bengals. I don't know how you felt, Matt. If you would have told me Sunday morning that the Steelers would give up 21 points to the Bengals, I'd say sold. I'll Against any it. team. Against any team. Yeah, really. And uh, that's and, a pretty good offense. And, and it is a pretty good offense. And, and, and um, 
Um, but then you get the last drive when the game is on the line and it was hot knife through butter. What happened there? Yeah, I, mean, they were doing I don't pretty have a great well explanation for them. I mean, one thing, again, this is the question you asked, but and Dale always brings this up with the Bengals too, is I thought Mixon looked really good in this game. And they get away from the running game against yep. the Steelers late in the game all the time. I never understand that. Dale says that every time we go into a Bengals game, I'm like, ah, it seems fluky to me. But then it always happens, and, and it, I didn't understand that. I don't have a great explanation for Dalton and the Bengals having a great drive there. It was. I mean, they're a good offense. I mean, I, I didn't think that they figured the Steelers are out or anything. I just think they put together a good drive. I mean, kind of simple, but um, I don't have a wonderful answer for that. It's discouraging, but you don't want to get to a point, at least I don't, where you camouflage that what they did through three and uh, two-thirds quarters of the game right? Uh, against that offense. And then you couple that with, I mean, the Falcons aren't a good football team, but they have a great Very passing attack. Right, no doubt. And they held them to 17. Mm-hmm. Are we beginning to see incremental improvements in this defense? I absolutely think so. But not to single them out, the second corner spot's a real problem. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's a bad place to have a real problem because <laughs> Brady or whomever is just going to throw at that guy all the time. Um, but I do think the Edmonds and Davis in their new roles, their new, you know, home for, for Edmonds are getting a lot better. Um, the defensive line has been more dominating in one-on-one matchups, which we expected from the start. Um, I still think the linebackers are a, a liability in coverage. But doing a better job, and I absolutely think Hayden following the number one receiver for most of the last two weeks has certainly been beneficial. And the one thing I've been saying all along about this defense is in today's NFL, if you can only have one thing on defense, I want a pass rush. And they do have a pass rush. I mean, they don't go about it in traditional manners. They don't have a great pass rusher like Von Miller last night or something like that. But they get consistent pressure on the quarterback, and they get consistent sacks, and therefore big plays. What are your thoughts about Cam Sutton? I thought he had a really good game. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going against – it was a mismatch, that big tight end they had. Um, <clears throat> he was very combative, very competitive. Uh, I'm wondering if – and I'm sure Burns is going to sit in the next game <clears> – <throat> if Burnett comes back and plays that role, which Sutton's been playing – what do you think about Cam Sutton starting for Artie Burns in that other corner? Yeah, this is something we've been talking about a lot on SNR. Is first of all, I really like Sutton, and if you remember in that draft, there was a ton of corners drafted, so he fell a little bit more just because of sheer volume of the position that particular year. Very, very high football IQ, and like going into the into the training camp, I thought maybe he should be the free safety and make Davis your jack of all trades, you know, tight end guy. Although he wasn't real good at that. But Davis has been fine in free safety. Um, and I think they love Sutton because he can play the slot. He can play outside. He can play this nickel linebacker role. And he really is miscast. I mean, he doesn't look anything like Morgan Burnett. And he shouldn't be matching up on tight ends consistently I mean, or playing that close to the line of scrimmage. But he doesn't hurt you no matter what you ask. And the thing I've been saying all week is with the bye, one of the things I'm really looking for or I would strongly consider if I were them is just say, hey, Cam, we like you. We trust you. You're the starting corner from now yeah. on. You know, just sink or swim. You probably can't be worse. Is Artie Burns set? I, I opened the show talking about not only is Artie Burns hurting because his lack of decent play, but projecting ahead, and I hate to do that, this mm-hmm. early, you miss on a position, chances are now you've got to deal with it in the next draft or the next free round of free agency. And 
to me, there's no way they're going to exercise their option on the guy unless he turns around remarkably. So now, where they could use an inside linebacker, they can use some other things, they're going to have to address cornerback again. To me, that's their number one need, You know, including running back, if Bell, assuming Bell leaves, assuming Foster leaves, um, quote, replacing Shazier. To me, finding a starting corner, especially consider Hayden's age and how much stocky, I mean, what if he goes down? I mean, he has an injury history, too. Well, we saw it what was, happened last that, year when he went. Right. We saw what happened Astros. when he went down. I, I mean, I, I don't know what would have happened, but I would have liked to have seen them play Kansas City with Joe Hayden in the lineup. Yeah, good point. No doubt. You I know? Mean, I also think it's not an accident that when he's been in the lineup, collectively there's been way fewer coverage busts, too. Mental yeah. errors across the, 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 across the whole secondary. And, and like you kind of said with Burns, I mean – with all respect to Cody Sensiball, we all know what he is. He's a fourth corner. He's a borderline guy. He's a journeyman. And if you really might not be the better option over that guy from a reliability factor, I think that says all you need to know about the guy. And, you know, I think Burns, people close to the team have pretty much told me that they think his confidence is pretty shot at this point, too, and that's a bad position for that to happen. Um, he's never been a great technician. I don't think his footwork's great. But really, since every step of the way, and we've, we've talked about this, like you watch a Steeler game, there's numerous plays, almost every game I've seen him play, where you say, what's he thinking on that one? Sometimes it's run support. Sometimes it's coverage. It's blown coverage or turns it back to play. Or like, what was, the, what was going through his head on that one? I don't know. There's no way they coached him to do that. And that makes people crazy. Well, I, the touchdown pass he gave up to Boyd, mm-hmm. um, where he's running around aimlessly in the end zone. Right, right. Boyd even called him out. Um, after the game was over, um, and the, then the consensus was, well, he has lapses in concentration. Well, that's part of the job. It's well, not just running and that. jumping. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, you right. know, you can't have that if you're the holder. Uh, right, and, right. You know, and you're in your third year now. It makes me think he, he's like a lost cause. I mean, if he, you know, if he can't focus for three hours on Sunday, um, what are you doing? It's like a center that. Blows one out of ten snaps. Like that's it's not okay. Yeah, I don't care if it's a lack of whatever it is. You can't play center then. Um, not to defend Burns, and we've talked about this too. But when he was drafted, that was the summer of man coverage. You know, we're gonna we gotta play more man coverage to deal with the Patriots, and I think that's what his ideal role is. And you have to be a lot less football intelligent. Like, you got A.J. Green. Just follow him around the whole time. You know, I mean, I think that's better suited for him. Yeah. And too bad for him they just don't do that with him. You know, that, that I think the fit doesn't help. But that's not excusing away the, the poor play or the mental lapses. I mean, they're a problem, and it's been not isolated. Last thing, one of the topics we were discussing today, watching the game last night, at least on one side, I don't know if you heard, the, uh, the uh, Cardinals fired – Mike they McCoy, did, yeah. and elevated our friend Byron Lovett. <laughs> yeah, Lewis, how about that? Would be the OC over there. He but, was a quarterback coach from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Um, good guy, too. He was a terrific guy when he was here. Uh, the new NFL, 43-40 um, to 40 is becoming uh, the norm. Mm-hmm. One guy said, uh, you know, I don't want to go back to 10-6, to 6, but I remember the good old days when 31-28 was a shootout. <laughs> right. Um, just as a fan and a guy who's – made his living inside the NFL. Um, do you enjoy this? I mean, it's, I know it's it's not quite Big 12 football. No, right. But but I was born in Pittsburgh in 73 with Steel yeah. Curtain, and I certainly like 
defense more than offense. 17-14 can be a really good game. It doesn't mean it's a bad game. Right. 9-6 isn't necessarily a bad game. But I think fantasy football drives it a little bit, too. It's so popular that they everyone loves the points, and everyone loves the, the passing game and the spectacular nature of it and the Odell catches and things like that. So I think it's good for the game. I mean, it's fun. It's a much different game now. But I think you didn't ask me the reason, but I think the number one thing we're seeing, though, is the offensive designers and play calling is so much better to me. Like, in the, even like the last couple years, or even in the last, you know, 365 days, if you're going to play cover three, I got three cover three beaters and best of luck stopping it, you know? And they just, I think it's a lot of the mental side of it. I heard a lot of people used to say, uh, I like college football because, you know, you see all these different offenses in the NFL. Everybody runs the exact same offense, right. just a matter of who has the better players. Um, so here we go. Uh, it's not often. It used to be that colleges copied the NFL. Now it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. My last question to you, though, and I, I brought this up too. Normally, pendulums change. Competition, defenses will find something and they'll force the offense and then vice versa. And, you know, back and forth it goes. However, the one caveat here is that they've legislated for the pass game right. and against the defense with that in place can the pendulum be allowed to move freely with the rules it that's also a huge contribution of it too and i also think while backup quarterback play is really really bad across the league starting quarterback play is really in a strong point you know that the the rivers and breezes and brady's aren't going away but you're still getting the next generation and every team in the league either has a quarterback, except for one, every team in the league, 30, 31 out of 32 teams, either has a quarterback that they're paying $16 million or more, like Andy Dalton level, starter money, or a first-round pick and then waiting in the wings, you know, a Darnold or someone like that. And the other teams, Dak Prescott and the, and the Cowboys, they happen to luck into one and didn't have to do either. So I think that's part of it. Um, What'd you ask me? I kind of went off topic there. Well, well, the, the oh, rules, the, yes, you know, artificially, if you will, prevent right. the pendulum from acting naturally as it always does in all sports, really. And back to your question, do I like it or not? I think the more I think about the protecting the quarterback situation, which is a big part of it, has to happen because I don't want to see Derek Anderson versus Matt McGloin and no, you know, you're going to see Derek Anderson, right? Exactly. You know, like things are starting and Brock Osweiler and some of these guys are starting to play. So part of me hates it that you brush a quarterback's helmet and boy, that's a flag. I mean, the whole put a skirt on thing I'm a believer in, but I just have to kind of swallow that one and say, I want to see Phillip rivers. I want to see Ben. I want to see the best guys. Um, one thing that, of note, though, Andy Benoit from Sports Illustrated does a really good film breakdown. I read his article this morning about what the Ravens are doing. The Ravens on defense, more so than really we've seen in the league, are just having a lot of people mulling around. You know, like they're not giving indicators of what coverages they're playing. You know, they're a veteran defense with Suggs and Weddle and those guys that you're seeing. And LeBeau did some of it. You know, that amoeba look where no one's got a hand in the ground that – you can't make your checks at the line of scrimmage as easily and say, okay, I see this as cover three. I'm going to do run cover three beaters. You know, that they, and you have to be smart on defense. But the logic is if we get out of place and we allow a big play, well, every defense does anyways. <laughs> I mean, what's the, allowing a touchdown isn't so terrible anymore because everybody does. There's the pendulum. Yeah. If they allow it to work. 
Great stuff, uh, Matt, as always. Don't forget, Matt is on with Dale Lolly on uh, Steelers Nation Radio um, every day, 4 until 6. And he's writing now for ClaytonFootball.com. Yes. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. All right, we'll preview the Cleveland game next Friday. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matt Williamson.